Animals Today Radio is made possible in part by a generous grant from International Society for Animal Rights, isaronline.org. Welcome to Animals Today, your home for serious talk about animals. I'm Peter Spiegel. We have a great show lined up for you today. Later in the hour, we're going to be talking about ecotourism. Everyone loves ecotourism, right? Well, there's some new research, an interesting paper that speculates that maybe it's harming animals inadvertently. But first, our focus turns to California, where Governor Jerry Brown, not my favorite governor, has just signed an important piece of legislation into law, one that will positively affect the use of antibiotics in our food supply. So I want to welcome Jonathan Kaplan, director of the Food and Agricultural Program at NRDC National Resources Defense Council. Hey, Jonathan. Hi, Peter. Thanks for having me on your show. Well, we're very happy you're here and especially uh, to speak about SB 27 just signed into law in California by the governor. Uh, What is this? Uh, SB 27, uh, authored by Senator Hill, is now the first state law in the country that regulates livestock use of antibiotics and seeks to put real limits on um, how and when antibiotics are used. And actually it goes farther than existing federal regulations. Uh, The Food and Drug Administration has also made a feeble attempt to try to crack down on the overuse of antibiotics in animal agriculture but the federal policy, um, FDA's effort, has a pretty big loophole. And so uh, Californians uh, stood up and passed the bill. And we're hopeful that it uh, gets the ball rolling for other similar measures around the country and uh, pushes industry and federal regulators to take stronger action to curb overuse of these drugs. That's great. So let's uh, take a step back and remind me why we're concerned about the use of antibiotics in our food source. The big picture problem here is antibiotic resistance. Healthcare leaders here in the United States and around the world are finding that antibiotics are increasingly failing to kill the bacteria, the infections that they once worked effectively against. And that's a very scary situation. Um, you can't really practice modern medicine without antibiotics. You know, if, if you get a strep throat and the antibiotics don't work, you're in for some serious consequences. And similarly, you can't do surgeries and chemotherapies, uh, cesarean births, I and mean, lots of things, lots of medical practices that we take for granted suddenly become very scary without antibiotics. So why do we have this problem of antibiotic resistance? The answer is that we're using them too often, too frequently. We're overusing antibiotics. We humans are doing it, and livestock producers are doing it. Um, In animal agriculture, livestock producers often use antibiotics both to make the animals grow faster and to help them survive confinement. Right, you've got a lot of animals in a typical industrial livestock facility. You've got lots of animals crammed into a small space. They may be living in their own excrement. They're stressed. 
um, they're, you know, they're, they're facing a lot of disease pressure, and one easy solution is just to give them a steady course of antibiotics. And that, of course, is the perfect formula for breeding antibiotic-resistant bacteria. Yep. If you were going to design a system to grow antibiotic-resistant superbugs, you would basically design a, an American feedlot. You know, you've got a lot of bacteria, you've got a lot of drugs, you're applying the drugs on a regular basis. It's, it's a perfect environment for breeding drug-resistant bacteria. And those bacteria can then escape from the feedlot, and they uh, can colonize the workers, they can go out in the manure, the air vents, they go out in the water, uh, and they can travel on the meat itself all the way to the grocery store or even your kitchen table. And those bacteria carry genetic traits which allow them to resist the antibiotics, and they can actually swap their DNA with other bacteria, effectively teaching other bacteria to resist those same antibiotics. So we're in a world where we're using these antibiotics uh, far too often, and we're spreading antibiotic-resistant bacteria that are contributing to the rising problem mm -hmm. of antibiotic resistance. The proportion of antibiotics useful to people that are actually used in agriculture is huge. That's right, yeah. We need to curb antibiotic use in both human medicine and in animal agriculture, and it turns out 80% of all the antibiotics sold in the U.S. are sold for animal agriculture. So we're not going to solve this problem if we just focus on the human use. We need, we need to be working in both, both sectors. Okay, so let's uh, turn to this new law. What, what does it do? So the new law is um, it's not perfect, but it is now the strongest policy in the country uh, seeking to rein in the use of these drugs. So what does it do? The law requires that any use of antibiotics in commercial animal production uh, get the, the approval of a supervising veterinarian. Uh, it prohibits the use of antibiotics for making animals grow faster. And uh, perhaps most importantly, it prohibits using antibiotics for preventative purposes uh, it, it, it prevents a regular pattern mm -hmm. of use of antibiotics for, for preventative purposes. So that means that a, a livestock producer can still use antibiotics if there's an elevated risk of disease, you know, if there's um, a breach in the biosecurity protocol, you know, let's say, uh, you know, a, a disease outbreak is started, you know, the, in those kinds of scenarios, antibiotics can still be used, but the producer cannot simply administer the drugs day after day as a, you know, regular practice to compensate for healthier living conditions. So that, um, that's a big step forward. The federal uh, policy implemented by the Food and Drug Administration, by contrast, only prohibits the use of antibiotics for making animals grow faster and effectively allows uh, livestock producers to use antibiotics for these so-called prevention purposes uh, without restriction. Yep. So the California law um, 
I think goes a long way toward closing that federal loophole. Now, a year ago when we spoke, we discussed the Purdue story and how they sort of voluntarily stepped up. And what has been the, the effect of that sort of leadership over the past year? Well, there have been a number of major food companies that have made public commitments to move away from antibiotics, uh, Purdue being one of them. We've also had several major um, food buying companies like McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, um, you know, they joined Panera and Chipotle uh, and, and other companies, uh, Costco now, you know, that have said, hey, we're, we're going to now buy uh, chicken and for some of them other meats as well that are raised without antibiotics. And that is a really important development in the story. That really shows to everybody in the supply chain and to consumers that we can do this. Uh, and I think that really helped um, make the California law possible and I think will increasingly um, make it possible for stronger federal regulations in the future. But still, we, you would like to see some other states start adopting these policies. California is a leader in so many of, of these sorts of things. Uh, what other states are looking at this? There is uh, legislation already introduced in Oregon. Uh, NRDC worked on legislation that was introduced in Maryland last year and will be at it again in that state. Um, that bill was derailed, but I, you know, I'm hopeful that it will move forward in the next session. You know, the, the idea of regulation here is really critical. It's great that we've got some industry leaders that are voluntarily doing the right thing and making public claims about that. But that's not going to be uh, sufficient at the end of the day because we need to bring the, the laggards in the industry uh, you know, up to that same standard. That's right. And it's the companies that are not volunteering that we're most worried about because they're probably the most intensive users of these drugs. So the, you know, the model companies are helpful, and they, they show that this can be done. Um, they give consumers choices in the marketplace, and that in turn fuels more consumer interest and demand for meat raised without antibiotics. But we absolutely have to have government regulation if we're going to really solve this problem. And regulation, which has more enforcement mechanisms built in. That's right. You know, the FDA policy is actually, it's technically voluntary. There's no, there are no teeth to it. And it's basically a negotiated agreement that FDA has with the pharmaceutical industry to relabel their drugs to prohibit growth promotion uses of antibiotics. But we think that many of those same drugs can still be used uh, in the name of disease prevention. And as long as the label is changed to say disease prevention instead of growth promotion, the use is legal and can continue. So we don't think that's actually going to have a big effect at reducing overall use. Right. Um, the California bill, you know, is, is a lot better. Um, it's still, you know, we, we're not all the way out of the woods yet because the Department of Food and Agriculture in California now has to implement that bill. And that agency has a lot of discretion about how to interpret the law that was passed. And uh, we're going to have to work hard to make sure that the agency does a good job in implementing it. And I'm sure you will. Jonathan Kaplan from NRDC, thanks very much for the update and congratulations. Thanks, Peter. Thanks for having me on your show.
You're listening to Animals Today. Visit us at animalstodayradio.com where you can listen to all the previous shows. And thanks for listening to our uh, discussion with Jonathan Kaplan. Animals Today is a animal advocacy show. That's our primary thing. Of course, we're also interested in antibiotics and making sure that we all have access to the highest quality antibiotics and preventing the development of resistance. Lori and I are both human physicians, by the way, and we use antibiotics regularly on our eye patients, so we have a double interest in this. And of course, as part of our mission, we promote a plant-based diet, so uh, we are in no way advocating or endorsing the meat industry or the chicken industry. We uh, want everyone to look at uh, becoming vegans and eating uh, plants instead of animals. But until we all get to that point, we want to thank NRDC and all the co-sponsors and all the people who have worked hard toward uh, passing this uh, legislation in California. You're listening to Animals Today. Stick around. More with the show after the break. Hey, folks, it's Danny here. I want to talk to you a little bit about our power grid. Now, it's no secret that the administration has literally declared war on the coal industry. And the result is that the cost of electricity is skyrocketing right past the record rates we already have. Now, ultimately, I believe these policies are going to create real shortages of electricity. It's like Obamacare, but with the power grid. And it gets worse. Experts say that our power grid continues to remain unprotected and vulnerable, which is why I want all of my listeners to be able to produce their own supply of electricity. Listen, I believe that it's time to prepare. You should always prepare and be prepared, especially with any coming problems concerning the power grid. So do what I did. Get a solar generator from Solutions from Science. They run quietly, emit no fumes, and produce an endless supply of electricity from the sun. Go to DanaSolarBackup.com to learn more. That's DanaSolarBackup.com. Use coupon code Dana to get a special half-price offer. DanaSolarBackup.com. Do you owe the IRS money? Do you have years of unfiled returns? Has the IRS garnished your wages or put a lien against your house? The IRS has the power to make you pay back what they claim you owe and will stop at nothing to collect. If you are losing sleep over your IRS tax problem, there is a solution. Call Signature Tax now. Speak with our professionals and feel the weight of your tax burden lifted from your shoulders. Call 800-859-9446 for your free and confidential analysis on ending your tax nightmare. We can help get your life back on track and give you the fresh start you deserve. Our A-plus BBB-rated tax resolution team has over 125 years of combined experience to get you the best deal possible while stopping the IRS dead in their tracks. Call Signature Tax now at 800-859-9446. Call 800-859-9446. Again, that's 800-859-9446. 800-859-9446. With the growing recognition of the power of animals to assist and comfort us people, and with greater legal protections for certified service animals under the ADA, we are seeing not only more vested animals, but more innovative and creative programs concerning service animals. One of these programs, Paws of War, is a project of the group Guardians of Rescue. I am pleased to welcome Dory Schofield, Vice President of Guardians of Rescue. Hi, Dory. Hi, Dr. Lori. How are you? I'm great. Dory, what is Paws of War and how did it get started? Paws of War was originally a program within our animal rescue organization, Guardians of Rescue. 
And it became so successful uh, that we branched it off as its own 501c3 organization. And what we do is we take all these amazing rescue dogs, um, well, not all of them, but many of these amazing rescue dogs that we rescue from kill shelters all over the country, and we train them to be service dogs for our post-9-11 veterans and sometimes for our Vietnam veterans uh, to be service dogs for those suffering from PTSD or TBI, traumatic brain injury, uh, PTSD being post-traumatic stress disorder, which is very real. Um, they are the invisible wounds that uh, nobody sees, but they're very real. And we match these dogs up personality-wise and task uh, performance-wise with the individual veterans. You get the, the dogs from the, the shelters, so they're rescued animals, and describe mm-hmm. the process concerning the dogs from that point. We temperament test them. We house them at um, our shelter, which is here on Long Island, um, and that's when we start the process. We get to know the dogs. Um, If the dog has the qualities that we feel would make him an impeccable service dog, we will um, take him into the program. We begin training. We have uh, trainers that are that work with assistance dog international they are qualified trainers uh to um complete these dogs to service dog um quality and uh, it's a long process but we do it in a lot of different ways we do it we can train a dog and then match him up with a veteran we have veterans that um train with the dogs um it's, uh, it takes probably about seven to nine months to complete the training. Um, it's, a, it's a great process. It's a growing process for the dog and the veteran. I love when they work together. It just uh, it begins the whole healing process. Dory, how are the needy former servicemen and women identified? Do they generally know this service is available to them? Well, we are connected with a lot of um, veterans organizations. And, you know, just through word of mouth and veterans that go to the VAs and they have their service dog and other veterans ask, Oh my God! Where did you get that dog? It's so great, and you know there there many of them are there for the same reasons. So word of mouth is is a a big part of uh, getting the awareness out. The awareness for PTSD being a very real uh, diagnosis. And um, come on, when you see a dog and a veteran, it's it's an immediate attraction to everybody, and they love it, and it really brings them. Um, some confidence, protection, and and just that 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 just that extra, you know, they they got their sex as they say in the military, and these animals really do. They they are there to serve and protect their veteran. Do the former service people need to have a stable residence and enough income to care for the dogs and to feed them and pay for veterinary care? Absolutely, we have a an application process that we do just like we do for anybody that applies to adopt one of our rescue dogs. 
we ask all the same questions. Do you have other pets? Do you own your home? Um, do you have a fenced-in yard? If we have a high-energy dog, and uh, you know that really needs to run and and have a fenced-in yard. Um, veterinary references. We do the same background checks. We speak to their professionals, their caseworkers, their spouses, their mothers, their fathers. So we really get to know the veterans very well. And once uh, they become part of the Pours of War family, it really is a family, Lori. We really um, become very connected with them. Dory, how do we know the service dogs help the people? What do we know from research or science about how people with emotional problems like post-traumatic stress disorder benefit? Well, we know that animals benefit anybody with depression, high blood pressure. All that has been proven. Uh, PTSD, they are doing a lot of research on it, and they're doing case studies now, right now, down in Florida, uh, with veterans and uh, service dogs with PTSD. So, and the the outcome is amazing. The effects of an animal uh, integrating with a human being that gives you unconditional love, is always there for you, never lets you down, doesn't care if you are overweight, in a bad mood, sad, and they will lift their spirits. They will, they will just be such an integral part. Dogs pick up on that. They have sixth sense with uh, anybody who's listening to your program who is an animal lover, knows what their animal does for them. So you can only imagine what a trained dog will do for a service member who's suffering from PTSD. So how do you determine if a veteran really would benefit from a service animal? Couldn't an untrained animal, an adoptable animal from the shelter provide just what is needed for some of them? For some of them, absolutely it can. And we also provide uh, free adoptions from our shelter, Save a Pet Animal Rescue in Port Jefferson, to all our military uh, veterans. So, again, they have to fill out an application. But if they are looking for just a pet to comfort them, to keep them company, there's no fee. All our animals are spayed, neutered, microchipped, vaccinated, tested for a heartworm so it's it's win-win all around for service dogs for those that really have a hard time getting out into public going you know we have some veterans that haven't been to restaurants in years or to the mall or to the grocery store they need that extra comfort of a service dog and uh, that's where the pause of war Uh, organization comes in. And Dory, as you know, um, on Animals Today here, we're very concerned about the well-being of the animals. Is this a good life for the dogs? How do you choose them and how do you know if the animals, the dogs, might enjoy something else better than serving a person? Well, because they're not only serving that person outside of the home when they go with them to the restaurants, when they go with them to the mall, when they go on the airplane, when they go in the car, they're home being just dogs also. They're not always working. When that vest and that leash is on, they are working. But other than that, they're in the home, they're playing, they're hanging out watching TV. What better life for a dog than to be with their owner 24-7?
and it's really great. I have my own dog who is my total companion. She's my soulmate. She's with me um, as much as possible. So this is just an extra um, extra bonus. They get to go everywhere with them. Dory Schofield, thank you. Rita, you look upset. I am, and I'm not sure what to do. My neighbor's dog is tied up outside. He looks very skinny and sick, and I never see food or clean water given to him. You need to report this right away. What do you mean? You should call Animal Services or the police and tell them about the abused and neglected dog. They can help to make sure the dog is properly taken care of. Okay, I can't stand to watch him suffer anymore. What's the number? Even though most of us take good care of our pets, not everyone treats dogs and cats with the care and compassion they need to be safe and healthy. If you see that a dog or cat is not being treated properly, report it to animal services or the police right away. Pets need food and clean water and protection from extreme weather. You can make the difference, and you don't have to give your name. Help stop pet abuse and neglect. Be their voice. Make the call. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at AIanimals.org. That's AIanimals.org. There is no getting around it. The great outdoors isn't so great for your cat. From speeding cars to toxic lawn chemicals, coyotes to cruel humans, cats are no match to the dangers of today's world. The good news is animal behavior experts say cats don't need to go outside to be happy. Your family will be happier and healthier, too, without the ticks, fleas, diseases, and the dead critters the outdoor cats bring their owners. And you will never have to explain to a crying child who or what hurt her pet or why he hasn't come home. Cats can enjoy a happy and safe life indoors. The key is to provide attention, exercise, and a stimulating environment. Play with your cat. It's fun for both of you. You can hide toys around the house, too. Just make sure there can be no detachable parts that can be swallowed. You can protect your cat from becoming a tragic statistic. Tomorrow may be too late. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at www.aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. Dana Lash here. Our freedom and independence is not free. Veterans and their families pay the price for your freedom and for mine. Veterans' families are many times unprepared to deal with what our warriors bring home. The pain, the nightmares, feelings of detachment, irritability, trouble concentrating, and sleeplessness. These are some of the symptoms of post-traumatic stress. The Purple Heart Foundation would like to offer all of you out there, all of my listeners, the book Tears of a Warrior, a family story of combat by Janet and Anthony Seahorn. As a free gift, Tears of a Warrior was written to educate families and veterans about the symptoms of PTS and to offer strategies for living with the disorder. The book is free to anyone who would like a copy. All you pay is shipping. Go to purpleheartfoundation.org. That's purpleheartfoundation.org or call 800-935-9941. That's 800-935-9941. Order the free book or give a donation in honor of a veteran you know. You can donate a car or cash. All donations go directly to help veterans nationwide. 800-935-9941 or purpleheartfoundation.org. I'm Bob DeRigo Jones, and this is Let's Be Fair. As we all marvel at the amazing pictures that a tiny spacecraft has sent to us from the farthest reaches of our solar system, it's a good time to think about all the ways we've benefited from space exploration, and might still in the future. Modern conveniences like cell phone cameras, scratch-resistant lenses for sunglasses, and water purification systems were all originally developed by NASA. Because of all the brilliant minds working there, it often seems like the only limit on what we can create is our own imagination. Unfortunately, one of the barriers to innovation is entirely man-made and unique to America, legal fear. 
Currently, a device invented by a former NASA engineer that could save lives by making it impossible to text, talk, or email on a cell phone while driving is being kept off the market, in large part because of fears about lawsuits. Let's be fair, there are actually many products that haven't made it to market because of concerns about the excessive litigation in America, and you would be amazed at what they can do. Learn more. Visit our website at centerforamerica.org. Do you hear that ringing? I've heard that ringing in my ears for over 20 years. My doctor said... The ringing and buzzing in your ears is called tinnitus, and you're just going to have to learn to live with it. The constant ringing in my ears is annoying. I've tried everything, and nothing worked. So I invested my own money, met with doctors, specialists, and certified labs. After a decade of research, we've developed Tinoxyl, a prescription-free, 100% natural and effective way to stop the ringing. And better yet, it helps me sleep. Trying to sleep with ringing in my ears is almost impossible. But with Tinoxyl, I started sleeping better in the first couple weeks. I'm so confident that Tinoxyl will help you too that I'm giving the first 100 callers a free 30-day supply. Don't let the ringing in your ears control your life. Call now and get your free 30-day supply. Just pay shipping. Take back control of your life. Combat the ringing and start sleeping again. Try it for free. Call 800-930-1669. That's 800-930-1669. I want to welcome Professor... Daniel Blumstein. He is professor and chair of the Department of Ecology and Evolutionary Biology at UCLA. And the paper he and his colleagues just published is titled How Nature-Based Tourism Might Increase Prey Vulnerability to Predators. Welcome, Dan. Thanks for having me. So, uh, Dan, ecotourism and nature-based tourism is a very fast-growing segment of the travel industry. And overall, you know, I'd say people view this as a positive. You're not ruining the environment. You're not killing the animals. And yet you and your colleagues wonder whether a different type of harm may result. Please explain. Well, I think ecotourism has the best intentions. Much of nature-based tourism isn't ecotourism. People go to natural areas. Eight billion people a year are estimated to go to protected areas every year. Um, that's a lot of people. That's more than everyone, every single person on Earth and then some. And we know that developing areas for nature-based tourism cause ecological changes. Roads are built. When roads go in areas, there's, you know, roadkill, there's dust, there's destruction, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We've known about these things before. What, what we do is we develop a new way of thinking about how animals might respond to tourists. And we do so by tying it into what we know about animal domestication, where animals are tamed, which is within generational change in behavior, where they become um, mellower, where they uh, become relaxed around people. Yep. And then also with domestication, we select animals, artificially select them to be more uh, for traits that are, that are desirable. And when we know from selection experiments that all sorts of traits are packaged together. And then we said, okay, well, where else is this sort of happening? This is happening also in urbanization. As we build cities, as more people move into places, um, people come in contact with wildlife. And we know that in urbanization sorts of scenarios, um, some animals may tolerate us, others may not. And those that do become more accustomed to us. We can get closer to them. Um, and we're now finding, many people are finding, that there's evolutionary change in these domesticated populations as well. And we say that one of the key factors with ecotourism or nature-based tourism and domestication and, 
and um, urbanization is that sometimes when people go to areas, we scare away predators. We create what's called a human shield. And this makes animals feel safer. Sometimes it may attract more animals to areas. And animals become relaxed, they become less vigilant. And maybe if we are selecting, as we do with um, these other sorts of scenarios, for particular sorts of animals, these animals may become more vulnerable to predation when, predator, when they encounter predators. How does that work? Why would an animal become a more susceptible, perhaps, to predation after you're gone? What we're setting this up as, this, the journal we published in is called Trends in Ecology and Evolution, and it's uh, a review and sort of preview type journal where papers try to sort of set out questions that people should be thinking about and asking. And we're saying, we know that there's enough pieces of the puzzle here that all work together. We need to understand the conditions under which this might happen and the extent of what, what makes this happen. Now, I know from some of my own work that actually animals around people are still able to respond to Predators and still able to recognize predators, but it does seem that um, there are some cases of other species that become less able to discriminate predators. There's one study of, of fox squirrels that suggests that, that in urban areas they have lost their ability to respond to the smell of predators, which is really interesting if it's true, and it's really interesting if, it's more, if, this, if this happens more extensively. We also know that um, immediately these human shields I'm talking about, people making animals feel safer because we exclude predators, have all sorts of immediate ecological effects. Um, we can see in places where animals are coming, uh, prey animals are coming because it's safe. We can see them eating selected foods more than they normally would, and you know the plants take a hit. But there's all sorts of other ecological dynamics at play here as well. So if this is happening and we can't say how extensive this is, but we can say here are all the pieces of the puzzle and it seems to be likely, then we should be worried about um, our potential inadvertent taming of animals that occurs with certain forms of ecotourism. We know that people go out and specifically try to habituate animals to make it easier for ecotourists to see them. We know this has been very successfully done with great apes in East and Central Africa. And we also know that those very individuals that are habituated to tourists are then more vulnerable to wildlife poachers. And if that is happening with um, non-human predators as well, which it may be in certain circumstances, um, we have problems. Much ecotourism really is ecotourism in quotes. When people are going out and feeding animals in the wild, I don't think that's the best thing for them. And my co-authors and I don't think that's the best thing for them. And that tames them excessively and brings them in to us. And if they live their whole lives there, if this is a very intensive thing, if there are lots of people around, then, then maybe we are systematically scaring away the predators. And, and maybe over gener within generations, but also across generations, we might be causing changes. One of the points you make, we really don't know the unintended consequences of this huge experiment. I agree. And I'm an ecotourist. Um, I think um, that... It's important to go out and see and interact with nature. I think that I and many others go to developing countries where um, really there might not be other alternatives other than consuming nature than, other than, than, than coming up with um, a, a, an income stream for pres preserving it and protecting it. 
And, you know, one shouldn't say all ecotourism is bad, but we need to better understand, and hopefully in the next five to ten years, this paper will stimulate more research to, to look at the scope and, and breadth of this, and we'll know more. Then we can begin thinking about things that might not be so good and things that might be fixable. But it's always a cost-benefit analysis. So if, even though the apes and gorillas and and chimpanzees might be habituated in East and Central Africa, that's been influential and, and, and really, really, really important in preserving the habitat and preserving those species. Right. So even if there is some heightened risk for these animals, the overall cost-benefit scenario might be greater than, you know, the benefits may outweigh the costs. Now, maybe that's different in Yellowstone, right. where we know that moose and other ungulates are hanging out by roads where people are because they're avoiding wolves. And they're foraging more on the vegetation in this area. They're getting hit by cars in some cases. They're having their fawns um, in these or calves in these areas. So, you know, maybe maybe we'll want to zone places for high-intensity ecotourism. Maybe we want to minimize the extent of it. Maybe we need to think about the temporal nature of this ecotourism. Lots of future questions to be asked. And I think that ecotourists, the ones who really truly care about the nature and biodiversity and animals ultimately are going to be those most interested in figuring this out and self-regulating themselves um, when good predictions can be made. The people who are leading the tours or uh, providing the businesses that the ecotourists uh, patronize, they may not have the best intentions or the best knowledge in this in this area. They may or they may not. And as far as I know, there's no I mean, there are ecotourism associations, and some of these are just tourist associations yeah. with another you know, label. Um, some care about outcomes. Some, many places are very well regulated. The Galapagos, I'm sure, are very different now with the amount of ecotourism they have than, than, than say, 50 years ago. But um, the Galapagos also are very well regulated in terms of how many visitors can go places and um, what they can do and their, their code of conduct. Um, Antarctica, yep. a lot of interest in ecotourism there, some regulation. Um, you know, I, I think some people are you know, concerned about uh, habituating penguins and other uh, stressful encounters with humans that penguins and other animals may have. A few years ago, Lori and I were uh, vacationing down in New Zealand, and we did not participate, but we observed a... Uh, a tour boat. It was uh, they. They were swimming with the dolphins. The dolphins were in in the bay, so they were. They were. I guess they started out as wild, but you would go and they. I guess they were feeding them or attracting them somehow, and we just knew this. This wasn't right, and we were n not at all interested in that. Uh, we. You don't really know what that does. Well, um, we don't. Um, and there's more invasive you know, ways of doing that, and there may be less invasive ways. Certainly there's this tension between you know, whale watching and marine mammal watching boats that are supposed to stay, in the U.S. at least, a certain number of yards or meters away. Whether they do or don't is another thing. But um, you know, we, we, we are maybe loving our animals to death. Maybe it's not stressful, and we need to know whether it is. Just because an animal's hanging out with you doesn't mean it's not stress, stressed and experiencing um, a heightened stress response, increasing its physiological burden, et cetera. Um, really, decisions about where to hang out and where to stay and how to interact are traded off with other costs and benefits. So what we're suggesting in our review is that an un, un, un or underappreciated potential cost is the risk of predation, enhanced risk of predation. People have thought about physiological costs before. Now, that's interesting because 
do I think that um, ecotourism is going to lead to large or is leading to large scale um, predator mortality of, of species that people watch? Probably not. But many of the wildlife and biodiversity problems we face today are really a death by a thousand cuts. We've got climate change, um, stressing out animals and plants, moving them to different locations, making it better or worse for them in certain areas. We've got habitat destruction leading to fragmentation of habitats and subdivision of populations. And when we get smaller and smaller populations, they become more and more vulnerable. And it doesn't really take that many extra road kills or predation events to take a population that is on a sustainable trajectory or growing population trajectory to put it onto a negative population trajectory. So many of the species that people watch are endangered and threatened. Is this an issue for them? Um, we don't know. No one's really been asking the question this way. So we hope to stimulate research to better understand um, how important this is compared to other things and recognizing that really this is trying to manage a death by a thousand cuts. Um, Maybe there's something we can do about it. Maybe not. Maybe it's not a huge problem. But um, we've, I think, articulated a plausible series of events and scenarios by which this is likely to be an issue. And it's certainly, um, with so many people loving nature and wanting to go out into nature and interact with animals and, and, and preserve biodiversity or experience biodiversity, um, there's a huge opportunity for both cost and benefit. Professor Dan Blumstein, thanks very much for sharing this uh, paper with us and your thoughts and joining us here on Animals Today. Thanks for having me. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner, and I want to thank you for joining us on Animals Today. Each week, we explore the wide variety of new and important issues concerning the welfare and rights of animals, how people treat them, and where they fit in society. From whale protectors risking their own lives on the open seas, to lawmakers fighting to pass legislation to assist animals, to kids volunteering at their local shelter, Animals Today provides timely and in-depth analysis and interviews with experts and advocates from around the world. To listen, join us every week on this station, listen on iTunes, or go to animalstodayradio.com, where you can access and listen to all the prior shows. And like us on Facebook and share your views. Much of our financial support comes from the nonprofit group Advancing the Interests of Animals. That's AIanimals.org. So check them out. This is Dr. Lori, and thanks for listening. Hey folks, it's Danny here. I want to talk to you a little bit about our power grid. Now, it's no secret that the administration has literally declared war on the coal industry. And the result is that the cost of electricity is skyrocketing right past the record rates we already have. Now, ultimately, I believe these policies are going to create real shortages of electricity. It's like Obamacare, but with the power grid. And it gets worse. Experts say that our power grid continues to remain unprotected and vulnerable, which is why I want all of my listeners to be able to produce their own supply of electricity. Listen, I believe that it's time to prepare. You should always prepare and be prepared, especially with any coming problems concerning the power grid. So do what I did. Get a solar generator from Solutions from Science. They run quietly, emit no fumes, and produce an endless supply of electricity from the sun. Go to DanaSolarBackup.com to learn more. That's DanaSolarBackup.com. Use coupon code Dana to get a special half-price offer. DanaSolarBackup.com. I'm Bob DeRigo Jones, and this is Let's Be Fair. 
For millions of baseball fans who attend big league games each year, the possibility of catching a foul ball is one of the attractions of the game. According to one study, as many as 53,000 foul balls are caught by happy fans each year. However, if lawyers who just filed a class action lawsuit against Major League Baseball have their way, a lot fewer fans will be leaving games with a souvenir ball. Under the lawsuit, all ballparks, including the historic Wrigley Field in Chicago and Fenway Park in Boston, would be required to extend protective netting from behind home plate all the way to the foul poles in left and right field. The lawyers argue that warnings about foul balls printed on tickets, posted around the ballparks, and mentioned over the PA system are not enough. Let's be fair, serious injuries do happen, and baseballs have been flying into the stands for decades, even before Babe Ruth was playing. But do we really want a policy like this that affects millions of baseball fans to be decided by one lawsuit? Learn more. Visit our website at centerforamerica.org. Not available in California, Louisiana, and Virginia. Listeners, do you have startup capital and want to invest in a booming business with incredible profit and growth potential? The opportunity is now because Fresh Healthy Vending, the number one healthy vending franchise in North America, is looking for a few business-savvy, healthy-minded people right here in the local area to become Fresh Healthy Vending franchise owners. We're growing so fast that we've had hundreds of new franchise owners in the last few years alone. Now you can join them. This area has a huge demand for Fresh Healthy organic snacks on the go, and that's exactly what you'll be selling with your Fresh Healthy Vending machine. We've already identified prime high-traffic locations that are perfect for healthy vending machines. Now we just need the right people to join our franchise network and help Fresh Healthy Vending continue to boom. If this sounds like you, go to readyforfresh.com today and enter code 1414. We'll send you a free owner information kit. As an added bonus to new franchise owners, we'll also pay half the franchise fees. Hurry, this offer is limited. Just go to readyforfresh.com and enter code 1414. That's readyforfresh.com, code 1414. Back to Animals Today. Thanks for tuning in and check us out at animalstodayradio.com. Animalstodayradio.com. The weather, weather in Palm Springs has just been spectacular. The rest of the country is suffering. And uh, living in the desert in Southern California is just a delightful thing. And uh, However, it does bring its encounters with wild animals, particularly snakes and spiders and scorpions and I have to tell you, I'm really, I will not ever get used to this. And uh, it's, a, it's a new experience not growing up around, around these animals. And, and uh, I, as much as I want them to live happily, I just don't want to have too many close encounters with them. But we did have a nice close encounter with a, with a snake uh, a couple, couple months ago when we were driving, right? Yeah. So we were driving along this, uh, this two-lane road near our house, and... I see something down maybe 50 yards away. It could have been a, a sock or a garment of clothing or whatever, but no, we got a little closer and I see it's really a snake and it's pretty big and it's moving and slowly S shape. I don't know. I, 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 well, it was destined to be squished by somebody. Right. So we, we uh, got out like we usually do for, for dogs or mostly for dogs in the road. Right. And, uh, you assumed your usual posture, I sure did. hands out, and just having a lot of faith in people that they're going to abide by your wishes. And and uh, so we got this. I see this snake, and he's she. I figured out she's a she. She looked pretty fat and probably pregnant. I'm guessing. Not not really expert on these things. And taking her time, just going across the road. And and uh, I was trying to get her to go into the bushes along the edge of the road, and she. She 
responded to, I would tap her tail a tiny bit. She wasn't rattling or anything like that, but uh, um, she did finally go across and, and get into the bushes and probably went on to the golf course where where where, where we were. And I sent the, uh, you know, while I'm doing this, of course, you've got to photograph it, you know, you ha- and you have to video document what you're doing. And I sent it off to one of our local, actually a world-renowned expert in these things and it was indeed a rattlesnake and, and uh probably pregnant too wow and and uh looking at these videos i'm a little little it makes me a little worried how close i was with my foot touching uh. <laughs> and so anyway she are, got are away you okay. more worried about that or more worried about your wife being hit by a car trying to stop uh, you traffic? know what i i can do something about the snake okay but but you're you're gonna do what you're gonna do so <laughs> You've had some encounters? I, oh, yes. Boy, years ago when I was in Tucson, Arizona for my residency training, this was years ago, came home late one night, yeah. upstairs apartment, just walked up, maybe 11, 12 at night. I was tired. I was hungry. I was anxious to get inside. At my doorstep was a huge, <laughs> hairy <laughs> tarantula. Mm-hmm. So, of course, I let out this blood-curdling scream that could have woken up all my neighbors and it did a couple of them at least my neighbor who lives lived in the adjacent apartment complex next to me heard me ran out he thought i was being mugged or attacked and ran up the stairs and said what's wrong what's wrong and he sees this the the tarantula oh that's just a little spider nothing (laughs) to be scared of (laughs) went back into his house got his tennis racket we're we're tennis buddies it's the same racket he plays tennis with and he um gently encouraged the tarantula to climb on his little racket and he he humanely and gently relocated the the tarantula to a a little empty desert lot nearby Mm -hmm. that was it yeah and it's it's you can't forget these you can't forget right right. something about the not only the size i mean them and it's you know it got some substance to it it's not a skinny little legged creature it's it's like got some heft to it and then you imagine like, things like hairs. he's gonna right the hairs you right. imagine he's my jump i know and just a, you know t- attached to your chest or something or <laughs> your face i know these nightmares <laughs> they just come alive and then, and then just suck your blood i mean you just you just worry yeah. what's gonna happen so of course your your imagination just runs away but um yeah that's it and how about our living room remember that episode well that i this past summer this personally okay <laughs> so I, I, we're just sitting one evening watching television. And, right. and again, you were the first to notice something. Right? Oh, we were just we were trying to relax. It was like on a Saturday night, we're just trying to relax. And yeah. I had I saw something on my peripheral vision, some yeah. little thing run by. Well, I thought ran by, but it, I thought it was maybe a, a cat or someone playing there. And yeah. I had t- took a double take and there it was yep. a huge little yeah. <laughs> huge little tarantula. That's a, a little, as I, I recall. Yeah, <laughs> just walking by in the living room, walking the, by, the, right, tile. right, right behind the couch, and <laughs> and I screamed. I said, "Peter, look!" And you, you missed it. Right, you missed it. He'd already walked behind the couch, so you had to actually go. You thought, really? Right? Are you kidding me? And I, we found him. You found him. And <laughs> I was that, worried that we were going to lose him. I know. That was your main thing. That was the main thing. Were, I can't go to bed. And then knowing he, we didn't catch him in the house. Right. Right. 
crawling so, on my face at night. So I used a piece of athletic equipment also. Oh yeah, to, what was that? To the lacrosse. That's right. Stick. So pulled out the lacrosse stick. That's from right. the garage, and uh, you got a nice uh, box or bucket. I think you got. Yeah. And and I I don't love this either. S- similar. I don't I don't like getting too close to spiders or snakes, to tell you the truth. And uh, But I was able to encourage this guy to crawl up into the basket, the netting of, of this stick, and he didn't seem to mind. And, and I placed it in the bucket. He didn't seem to mind crawling into there, too. And it's he's moving very slow, but still this notion... Uh, oh, is he going to jump on my neck or something? I know, I know. Like that, you know, at any moment. So, and this is the same lacrosse stick he bought purposely to purposely. play with our little pit mixed Cosmo because he yes. loves the ball, chasing the ball. Yeah, that really works out well, especially if you know how to use one of these things, right? It's a multi-purpose and, and, yeah. function here. Yeah. It's good. So I love that. <laughs> okay, good. Okay, so what's the point of this? This point, point of, of this. Oh. Well, you don't have to kill these uh, little critters. Right. You can humanely relocate them, That's even if exactly you don't right. feel Thank all you. warm and fuzzy about them. That's exactly right. There you go. Good point. Thank you, Peter. You're welcome. And thank you for listening to Animals Today. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner encouraging you to nurture your love and compassion for the only other beings sharing our planet, the animals. Today Radio is made possible in part by a generous grant from International Society for Animal Rights, isaronline.org. I'm Joe Montaigne. The men and women of our nation's armed forces exemplify courage and leadership through their service to our country. When a soldier returns to civilian life, they can bring the same values and skills that they learned in the military and apply them to their workplace. So if you're an employer, on behalf of the Coalition to Salute America's Heroes, I urge you to hire smart and bet on a vet. It's a great way to show your appreciation for their service. To learn more, call this number or visit saluteheroes.org.